0: is this. of the orchestra may have given the game away at the end there, but the first impression? Were you thinking perhaps that was a violin sonata? No, it's a concerto for violin, piano, and string orchestra, written by Felix Mendelssohn at age fourteen and a quarter. That was the first solo entry, after a longish orchestral introduction. It's extraordinary in so many ways. For a start, concertos with more than one solo instrument were way out of fashion in 1823. At least they were in Mendelssohn's native Germany, or I should say native Prussia. Multiple concertos were already in decline when Beethoven wrote his triple concerto for piano, trio and orchestra nearly two decades earlier. But Mendelssohn? Well, this concerto is a sign of how this phenomenon. Commonly gifted young man, or should I even say child, was trying out so many possibilities at this stage of his career. There's no sign of youthful timidity. Well, he'd already written nine of his twelve symphonies for strings by this time, as well as an early concerto in D minor for solo violin. That's not the famous one in E minor, so he probably felt a fair degree of confidence at this stage. He certainly didn't lack encouragement. The Mendelssohn family were very much concerned with what the Germans called Bildung, that's education in the widest possible sense, philosophical, emotional, spiritual, as well as in intellectual particulars. And it's that idea of musical Bildung, character formation in the widest sense, that I'll be looking at in connection with this prodigious early concerto. It's the work of a young mind discovering itself and full of the exhilaration of the process. The young Felix Mendelssohn got the work ethic Big time. A friend of the family remembered his mother on hearing young Felix laughing happily somewhere, calling out, Felix, tust du nichts? Felix, are you doing nothing? family weren't initially happy about a career in music for young Felix, they did eventually find him a remarkable teacher. This was by the age of eight. The man in question was Carl Friedrich Zelter, a very important and influential choral conductor and a champion of Johann Sebastian Bach. This was at a time when Bach's music was barely known. He was also a friend of the great poet, novelist and scientist Goethe, and took the twelve-year-old Felix Mendelssohn to meet him. Goethe was delighted, apparently, by Mendelssohn's playing and, indeed, by his music. Zelter also kindled the young Felix's enthusiasm for Bach. You can hear that in the very Bachian cut of the double concerto's opening theme, above a steadily running bass, and in what Mendelssohn does with that soon afterwards. Imitations on violins at the climax of the first phrase. Those are very obviously the product of a mind that's begun to study Bachian counterpoint. This was the beginning of a lifelong obsession for Mendelssohn. With Zelter's help, he eventually put on a performance of Bach's St. Matthew Passion in 1829 to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the premiere. Despite the piece's long neglect and dire warnings that it would be far too long and too heavy for contemporary taste, Mendelssohn's Matthew Passion performance played twice to packed houses, and marked the beginning of the modern Bach revival. Other formative influences on Mendelssohn's early double concerto aren't hard to find. This kind of rapid, broken octave writing. That sounds not a hundred miles away from this passage in Mozart's D minor piano concerto. several other striking similarities, also, not surprisingly, with Beethoven. This brilliant dialogue between the violin and the piano's right hand is strongly reminiscent of Beethoven's triple concerto, and the sonorous, wide-spanning left-hand figures, too, are very Beethovenian. changes in key, often to quite remote areas. And this is something Mendelssohn picks up on too. Later on in his first movement we're in the key of F. But then comes a change to a deliciously surprising D flat. is striking enough in itself, but it also unleashes a flow of very Mendelsonian lyricism. It's also true that in this early Concerto for Violin, Piano and Orchestra that we find a young man sometimes trying out things that, well, don't quite work. Take the passage straight after that one, for instance. In the score I've got, the editor takes it upon himself to rewrite Mendelssohn's piano part. Why? Well, because the whole passage is written in piano tremolos for both hands. It's a very nasty effect to achieve on the piano, a bit like trying to stir a sauce with flour and it so easily gets lumpy. Percy Granger called piano tremolos woggles, and you can often hear why. Now, by this stage in his career, Mendelssohn was already a fine pianist, so it's rather surprising to find him contriving something like this. First in that passage you may have wondered what on earth I was carping at, but by the end, admit it, it is a bit of a relief when the piano gets back to more pianistic writing. It certainly is for the pianist. Mendelssohn probably intended some sort of romantic effect, but it's so obviously more effective on tremolo strings. But equally there are passages where the mature Mendelssohn is clearly discovering himself take the lead into the lyrical second theme via a very vocal violin cadenza. This is a prime example. The violin makes a sort of improvised sounding poetic bridge from the stormy, driven Allegro. second theme in his famous E minor violin concerto. Mendelssohn's last great orchestral work, which we can definitely hear prefigured in this early double concerto. Well, so far we've heard mostly from the first movement, now, not just because it's quite long, but it's also the most remarkable of the three. The central slow movement is more obviously conceived in the shadow of Mozart. Well, Mozart's concerto slow movements do cast a very big shadow. But it's still impressive the way Mendelssohn handles the double concerto medium in this second movement. After a longish string introduction, which ends with some very Mozartian tale figures, the piano enters as though this were a solo piano concerto. He has his say, and then prepares the way beautifully for the entry of the violin. There's not a hint of incongruity or of a young composer thinking, whoops, this is supposed to be a double concerto. During that passage, Mendelssohn even managed to engineer a rather effective transition to a new key. We started in the home key of A major and ended in E major. It's all done without a hint of engineering. The art is to conceal the art. In fact, it's quite different from that dramatic Beethovenian key change in the first movement, much closer to the spirit of Mozart, you might say. The dramatic contrast in this movement is arrived at by having the middle section for the violin and piano almost entirely alone. We have the lyrical violin with liquid piano accompaniment. This is the kind of poetic equivalent of the cadenza. Now, in a normal classical or baroque concerto, this would be the point where the soloist steps forward, as it were, into the limelight, the orchestra hushes, and the soloist is left to his own to display for himself. But cadenzas in multiple concertos are much more difficult to contrive, especially when you have mixed instruments. Mendelssohn gets around that rather well here, the need to spotlight the soloists, without actually giving them a free cadenza. In other words, the middle section becomes this passage in which the soloists are spotlighted. And at the end of this passage, Mendelssohn shows that he's beginning to learn an important compositional lesson. It's one of which Beethoven was a master. And that's how to make an enormous amount out of a tiny scrap of an idea. Do you remember that Mozartian tail-figure? The thing we've hardly heard since the end of the orchestral introduction. Well, that now blossoms into a rather nicely extended coda. In more than one sense, Mendelssohn is teasing out the motif. This ability to make a lot out of a little is important because it shows that Mendelssohn is beginning to learn something that was stressed to him soon afterwards when he met the composer Luigi Cherubini in Paris. Cherubini was much impressed by young Mendelssohn's talent, but he also saw that young Felix could be very prodigal with his ideas. He gave him a rather nicely expressed warning, don't put too much material into your coat. Yet that same year that he met Carabini, Mendelssohn is now a grand old man of sixteen, he wrote one of the masterpieces of the romantic chamber repertory, the octet for strings. Now just listen to how the abundant vitality of this music all seems to stem from the opening, very fertile idea. he had clearly put his finger on something that Mendelssohn had already begun to sense himself, as that teased-out coda of the double concerto slow movement shows, he was already reaching out in that direction. Mind you, you might not guess that from the finale of this double concerto, though. Mendelssohn seems to be pouring out ideas here at a tremendous rate and sometimes there's a part of me that says too much, too much. It reminds me a bit of Brahms's words when he saw a piece by the young English composer Ethel Smythe. You're supposed to make a penny do the work of a sovereign and here you go throwing guineas away for nothing. young Mendelssohn chucking gold coins hither and thither? Well, perhaps that's a bit harsh. After all, that lyrical theme which we tasted at the end does partly derive from the very opening descending idea. But as this finale helter-skelters along, you do get the impression of an incredibly excitable young man who just can't stop talking very, very fast. What he's saying may be rather clever, but there's only so much of it we can take. Still, the energy is extraordinary, and you can sense that the only slightly more focused energy of the octet is just around the corner. Remember, this is a young man who was on the point of producing real masterpieces. You can say of the double concerto that it's remarkable for a man or boy of his age, but with the octet, the Midsummer Night's Dream Overture and the A minor String Quartet, these are just extraordinary. Not even the teenage Mozart can match those achievements, and at times in this youthful concerto you can feel that unparalleled youthful genius who is to blossom in just a couple of years on the cusp of mastery.